So I think we're we're going to see real transformation of Christianity, but it's only going to happen if we we move to different paradigm frameworks of understanding the world, which have been labeled New Age, but they're not New Age. They're ancient. We just suppress them. You know, we suppress them with institutional religion. Welcome to another episode of Holy Heretics, Losing Religion, and Finding Jesus from the Sophia Society. We are your hosts, Melanie and Gary Allen. And today, we are excited to introduce you to Travis Wade Zinn, whose faith journey starts out very much like many of ours, but then diverges quite drastically. Uh, but we'll get more into that in a second. He holds an honors degree in religion and specializes in Christian mysticism. He has studied at several Zen monasteries throughout the world, and he is the author of a book called Path of Trinity, Journey into Christian Mysticism. So welcome, Travis. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. Hey, Travis, I realize you're from East Tennessee, and I lived there for about 10 years, so who knows? We, we might be related. Uh, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's a small world over there, right? Um, it absolutely you know, is. <laughs> Melanie has told me a little bit about your faith journey, and, and she even referenced how it started out maybe a lot like ours from an evangelical perspective. Can you just tell us about that journey? Tell us about your background and where it's led to you. All right. I grew up in the Ozarks of Southern Missouri in a conservative Christian holiness family. Uh, this is an offshoot of Methodism. And during this time, uh, we were homeschooled in the Bill Gothard ministry, so Advanced mm -hmm. Training Institute. This uh, I, People have probably heard of the Duggars and the Quiverful Movement, mm -hmm. uh, 19 yep. and Counting series. So we were involved in this, and I went over to Russia to teach as part of this ministry. I had started uh, my theology degree in uh, at 17, and by 19, I was working for the Department of Education there. Oh, wow. And while I was in Russia, my parents had changed from the conservative holiness church they were going to and began uh, attending an independent Baptist church uh, nearby. And in this church, they had taken uh, Bill Gothard's teachings uh, to another level. The whole patriarchy issues had emerged for our family that hadn't been the case in the past, and it created major crisis and conflict. And so my father asked me to come home. And when I came home, I saw all that had happened as a result, there was, you know, even domestic violence at the time. Mm. So, oh. so uh, that it, you didn't, ha that wasn't there before. And then as like the patriarchy was accepted, it turned into that. Well, I think there are always these catalyst events. Um, and obviously in the conservative holiness movement, there were structures that were patriarchal. Um, and you know, these, cultural frameworks have existed, you know, throughout American history and have been in a kind of equilibrium, I would say. Uh, but as we're moving in now into the 90s, a lot of those structures have started to break down. Um, hmm. But that wasn't so much the issue. There had always been an equilibrium in their marriage. Um, the issue was this new pastor who is preaching this very, very aggressive approach to family dynamics. And um, that had caused some problems for the marriage. I think it empowered latent issues maybe that were there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, my mother had wanted to speak in church on a, a topic. And, you know, that was just, you know, there are some churches where that becomes a problem. And so there were just 
different things that, you know, create a crisis. Wow. Uh, so as a result of all of that, what happened to you and your faith when you came back to kind of intervene or, and do you have siblings? If so, how did they respond to all this as well? I wouldn't want to sort of go into much detail about my sister who did leave Christianity. Um, Mm. and, uh, this was traumatic for her. Uh, but in my case, uh, I, you know, I was on my way to being a missionary. I had already done mission work in different countries. I was already, you know, in my teens had already been to college at Bible Missionary Institute. Uh, so this was my life. This was my structure of understanding myself, understanding the world. Uh, and so I, it, it was a terribly hard hit because I sat down and said, you know, this independent Baptist pastor you know, he's not filtering stuff. He's, you know, I don't know, reading about slavery at all in the Old Testament and genocide. And, you know, he's uh, he's not using those filters that typically, you know, if you've had theological training, uh, you will put in place, you know, some of these training people have in seminaries. So, mm-hmm. you know, dogmatic patriarchy uh, is there in the Bible, you know, polygamy. That's why you have it in Mormon church, among other places. Mm-hmm. So, uh, reading the Bible at these literalist levels instead of at the symbolic level or the spiritual level uh, can train wreck. And, you know, so I was just, I, I dealt with it honestly. I'm like, okay, what's he saying? Well, how should I see this? And it, it, it sent me off then to get a, a degree in religion. Um, and uh, it was tough. You know, I went to, I got into a really good um, religion a degree program. I was the president of the Religious Studies Association, got an honors degree, but I was struggling. I mean, I went into existential crisis. You know, mm-hmm. I studied existentialism, um, and uh, it began a kind of implosion of my self-concept. I mean, if you look at it in Freudian terms, you know, you have the superego, the ego, and, you know, the id. Um, and so the ego level can, you know, if the super evil level, which was my fundamental orientation, that is to say, God collapses for me. And if I experience a personal death of God, you know, for me, that sucked my ego into that, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I sort of didn't come out again anew for 20 years. But uh, I went on to study after that to grad school in Amsterdam. I studied religious and cultural theory and was focused on pathologies of religions and cultures. So I wanted to understand how cultures and religions went bad, you know, and I worked on it. But I, I you know, I, I crashed and burned in grad school. I got involved in drugs and, you know, all of those mental health issues that emerged from mm. that existential crisis caught up with me. You know, I ended up homeless at one point. Mm. Well, you know, I think a lot of us are there on some level when you begin to deconstruct some of the, the faith traditions that you have been handed. It, you're as you said, you not only deconstruct uh, God and and maybe the death of a version of God, but there is mm-hmm. also a personal death that you go through, um, an identity mm-hmm. crisis, um, the things that you held so true and so dear, uh, you realize were were either false or misleading. And uh, you know, I've experienced that even over the last several years of, of you know what is even real, what is even true, and then. Are any of the things that I've believed in my past even real? And it does send mm-hmm. you into this existential crisis of identity. Mm-hmm. So you went from 
a very conservative, incredibly legalistic, fundamentalist background with the Gothard movement, with a, a version mm-hmm. of Southern Baptist to spending, mm-hmm. it sounds like a, from your book, a, quite a lot of time in Zen monasteries and, and Christian mm-hmm. mysticism. I mean, that's the other extreme. How did you go, <laughs> you know, how did you, how did you get there? That, that's not one right turn. That's, that's a whole other worldview. Well, that's, you know, so we're talking 20 years lapse between those two events, just to put it in context. Um, so after crashing and burning in grad school um, in Amsterdam, I ended up doing professional work and I lived in five different world capitals, you know, and in countrysides. Uh, so I just completely left academia. I left religion. Um, I remember sitting down with a, a Buddhist monk in England at a Tibetan monastery. I was there for a little while. And, you know, the, the Buddhist tradition is, is uh, well, it's a long discussion there, but basically I say, you know, I'm not even going to do Buddhism. <laughs> I'm going to have a Nietzschean yes saying immersion into reality. And I'm, you know, I've even had it with, with alternative forms of religion to the one I had. And I did. I mean, I was, I was away for, for 20 years and I was, well, I came back. I was, I had a drinking problem and I was walking through Nice, France. I'd, I had a, I'd been a man, academic manager at a language school where I taught and did other things. But I was walking down the street and I walked past this Zendo, which is, you know, kind of a meeting place like, you know, martial arts heaven, but, you know, Zen Zendo. And they had meditation. I'm like, hmm, I should check that out. So I'm, you know, I'm not quite sober. I walk in there and they're sitting oh, down. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, they're, you know, Zen people, right? They're sitting there, sitting down. And uh, they see me walk in and I'm, you know, I'm just standing there. And they, one of the guys gets up and he hands me the Zafu. It's like the thing you sit on. And I probably smell like a brewery, but they set me down and had me sit up straight. And they walk around with these sticks, you know, they'll whack you if you don't sit up straight. So I think I did pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then I started going back and I started doing these intensive sashin, which are uh, Zen retreats where you meditate many hours a day. And that was in the Deshimaru um, tradition, which is Soto Zen. Um, and my teacher was um, there based in Nice. So that slowly was my entrance into Zen. And then um, I had an accident when I was in Nice and uh, ended up handicapped. I had spent some time in a hospital, brain injury. Hmm. And um, I got pretty sick. And so I had to come back to the United States to get um, support and care. And I I went and moved and lived on a a Zen monastery in California for for five months and got well. I got super well. Hmm. So. So after that, though, somehow you ended up coming back to Christianity, not the Christianity you were raised but a different version of it. So how did that happen? Right. So um, when I was on the monastery, we would meditate up to seven hours a day, you know, working in silence. Um, this is a highly disciplined container. And I, I do think that's something to highlight. Uh, Christianity needs these containers of discipline. And when I was at university, I was on the fencing team, right? You don't get good as a fencer, you know, by doing ballet and doing, you know, all these other things. I mean, ballet would actually help for fencing, but, you know, some other sport. (laughs) Um, You don't get good at that unless there's a discipline and a container for spiritual progress. And I think we, you know, Christianity and all these new age things and all that, that's soft religion. That's, Hmm. I don't, I don't mean to generalize it, Christianity. To give you an example, when I was on the monastery, I was having these experiences as a result of the awakening I had. And um, so I would have a synchronicity, precognitive dreams. You know, I could set and 
count on my watch and say, okay, somebody's coming around the corner and they'd come right around the corner. It was that level of the sort of bundled uh, density of experience. But there was a, um, came to the monastery to spend a retreat, uh, a Catholic superior general of the oratorians in France. So that's a very high level. And he was just getting away from work, you know, relax. And, well, not relax. I doubt that ever happened, but to to do practice. Um, James Cunningham. And we were doing this chant at the table and he was across from me. And there's this Zen chant, uh, maybe with all beings realize the emptiness of the three wills, giver, receiver, and gift. And that has a, you know, it's a very distilled theological implications. And so we started talking about theology of the gift and and some other French thinkers um, uh, related to gift theology and gift philosophy. And there was a spiritual resonance there. You know, I met a superior general who's on the Zen monastery doing practice with me. Um, and so that was the first, that was the first event where I'm like, okay, you can be a Christian and also be doing dedicated spirit, serious disciplines, which those exist in the monastic traditions, of course, as well. Hmm. Um, and then the second experience I had is after I left the Zen monastery, I've gone to Illinois and I was doing um, cement finishing. And there was this event that was happening there as I was finishing cement. Somebody, there was a scenario that emerged where I had this strong feeling of judgment, like there was an injustice occurring. And when I had that feeling, I had in my head, my name is Uriel, okay? And so I kind of tabled that because like I finished the cement, right? And I got, I got back to the uh, house and I looked up, an ar- the Uriel is an archangel. And so I went into meditation with my with the Bible that I had uh, there at that house, and I was like inquiring, okay, what is the meaning of this? And I opened to this passage in the Bible and said to break the arm of the wicked, and and I inquired further and it said the angel told me there's another side to me is Oriel. I thought, well, that's kind of weird, uh, not weird. That wasn't my feeling, but you know, it's surprising. And so I couldn't find any answers. So I got in contact with this Kabbalist rabbi. And he said, oh, yeah, he says, I'll send you a graphic. That's, that's another side of this angel. They're all, you know, multifaceted. And you're exactly right. And so he sends me this graphic of, you know, this angel and Metatron and such. And so that was the beginning of me moving back in to the orbit of Western faith. And that was followed by a number of other things. I encountered St. Pio, who had no idea who he was in a dream where I had support. Um, and then I had a number of encounters with him further. I got um, an, a dream where I, Archangel Michael came to me, and I was directed to go to Estonia, which I did. I went to Estonia. And when I was in Estonia on a train, um, I had the theology vision that was given to me that I was in my book. So this is the kind of progression of you know meeting the superior general, you know, randomly finishing cement with no de- desire or have any kind to go back to Christianity, encountering an archangel, and then that linking with the Western tradition, and St. Pio, and then, so it, it all came together to where uh, that was the return. Hmm. So I think a lot of us grew up with a version of Christianity that was far more uh, belief-centered, uh, mm-hmm. that we were told that Christianity is all about having the right ideas, and thinking the right things about God, about Jesus, and about the Bible, and Obviously, beliefs mm-hmm. are are crucial and and they're important. But you are uh, tending to espouse a a more um, 
orthopraxy version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, orthodoxy of which we all know is sort of thinking the right things, this right. version of Christianity really focuses far more on practice, on experience, and on disciplines. Uh, can you can you just talk about how that has changed your spirituality, uh, moving from orthodoxy to orthopraxy? Absolutely. Um, the the Zen life, the Zen person life, is explicitly not non dogmatic. It, it's all about destruct deconstructing the false self, deconstructing you know all of these cultural frameworks, and you know what is the sound of one hand clapping? You know. It's meant to really jam the system of these preconceived concepts we have about reality. So that was, you know, the opening along with meditation into an orthopraxic uh, approach to Christianity. I mean, those Zen disciplines uh, create, you know, spiritual awakening experiences. uh, And those open out onto a much more non-dogmatic, open-minded experience. Uh, That happens within frameworks even within zen but they're non-dogmatic you know in zen you know if you see the the buddha in the road kill him <laughs> you know hmm. the, the the idea there is that uh, these preconceived frameworks need to be um need to be eliminated in order to get to the truth of, of reality um so that is an approach coming through the zen door that allowed me to come at christianity in a completely different way uh, following on that then having experiences that took me back, I would say explicitly back, to ancient spiritual paths that coincided and and were within Christianity that we've lost. So my experience basically was of a a kind of spiritual cartographer. I'm going back and and finding these paths. Let's just, so I'm a fencer, right? Or I was. uh, Let's just say fencing had completely disappeared. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean there was never the, the fencing discipline or that that discipline can't produce you know, levels of outcome within the person. It's just, it's, it's gone. And so all of those suppressed spiritual disciplines and paths that were transformative at early stages of Christianity and were overwhelmed by institutional religion, um, those reemerged for me through those experiences. So it's not without container. It's not without container. That's essential, uh, both in terms of community and so on. But it is a non-dogmatic, open-minded praxis rather than you know ortho- orthodoxy and and then open to other faiths informing your own practice We're, we have to have that in our christianity if our christianity doesn't become mystical um, and embrace the mystical truth i don't see how it's going to survive in in the 21st century can you explain what you mean by mystical well uh, there are many mystical traditions as you know within the western and within the east and then also within Christianity, or they're they're less known by most evangelicals. Uh, the Orthodox tradition uh, has a long-standing mystical faith practice, and the idea of experience of theosis um, is essentially union with God in an important way. It's it's you know uh, Christ said, "Is it not written, you are gods?" And people will will have a problem with the interpretation of that potentially, but we are children of God. You know, we are children of God, and that is to say we do have within us uh, the divine spark. We're body, soul, and spirit. So spirit is that aspect of us that is is divine. Let's be frank. Um, the soul is that individuated, purified 
part of us, but until we break through in spirit, uh, we remain basically bound and trapped. In the East, that's karma uh, concept. In the West, it's it's you know original sin. But the point there is, you have to get liberated from that. And 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 being in the position of saying, well, I've basically signed on this document, and now I'm saved, and here I go on with my life and buy a new SUV. It's not going to cut it. So that's <laughs> that's why we we got to go back to the early. I would say the Christian Hermetic tradition, you know, the, go back to the early traditions that had ascent traditions that are basically the ancient practices uh, that are what sort of New Age soft is trying to feed us. And, and, and I'm not discounting all the, the people who are contributing in that way. I'm just saying we have that in Christianity. We can recover it. And mm-hmm. that's the only way forward, I think. So what are some of these practical um, disciplines or habits that we have lost in the West, in particular in Christianity, if someone is really looking to um, move beyond just a belief-based Christianity into a practical, um, you know, as as my priest has told me, we, we've been given a toolbox of, of tools that will help us lead toward union with God toward interior mm-hmm. transformation, but we've lost the toolbox. What? Mm-hmm. So what are those tools? I mean, what do you use um, in your spiritual practices that um, aid and abet a more mystical uh, expression of Christianity? Well, coming through the Zen uh, door, uh, that was deep meditation practice. I mean, mm. I was getting my food on my mat and, you know, hours of meditation, but it doesn't take that. You can have a daily meditation practice. You can have mindfulness disciplines. Um, That is focused awareness on what you think. Your thinking has implications in the external world. And when you start with a truly mystical viewpoint, you know, in hermetism, that's the concept. um, And this is also in Christian, you know, consciousness is the fundamental basis of reality. Well, once you, uh, once you acknowledge that, you realize that thoughts in the in the imaginal realm, that is not imagination, but in the realm that surrounds us and interpenetrates us, have, impl- have implications in the real world. Um, that's not a new age thing. That's ancient. So once we do those mindfulness practices, we become more and more aware of the implications of our thinking, become more aware of how we're in- interacting with others, and then the meditation supports that. So those are those are two key things uh, in, in our evangelical traditions of the West. We don't have a monastic a tradition. We don't yet. I mean, it's being reformed by some. Right. Um, but uh, having a deep community practice, I think we have to reconsider forming communities that represent our values and then entering into deeper practice. So but you can do that as an individual with just a basic meditation and mindfulness practice. Hmm. I'm I'm curious if there's anything from the fundamentalist faith you were raised in that you have kept or or at least um see as good or if you look back and you're just like it was so off base that that there was nothing good coming of that or or how you how you view that um especially considering like all the the negative manifestations that happened in your family because of that upbringing okay great question um well i think you can have uh, what they would philosopher might say a secondary naivete so you can you can 
go through a process of transformation. And that's that's something in esoteric Christianity that that, that comes up. But uh, you can go through a rejection of a core beginning and return to that beginning again, a new person. So it's a kind of the hmm. not the prodigal son almost, but but not in in some sort of literalist way, but in that you do that whole transformational journey, right? And then you come back and you see the father even differently, right? So um, my my own experience is one that I have always been extremely honest and value truth. Well, that means that I have to not just be reactionary. I started out that way, but then I've started to study um traditionalism you know in the in the west we don't i mean in america we don't have a deep intellectual tradition of 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 looking at that but um i lived with the bruderhof for a while so that's an anabaptist community like the mennonites and um they had a a very traditional right um gender relationships but there was harmony within that there are other challenges to community life but there was harmony within that so um you know, probably you've heard of Rod Dreher. You know, there's mm. um, there's the idea that these cultural frameworks that we have. I mean, look, t- you know, China's right now obliterating uh, Tibetan culture. Mm. Well, some part of us wants to say that's not cool. You know, that's not what you want. And postmodernism is deconstructing and obliterating all of our cultural norms. Well, that's why you have such a reaction um, by people. You know, they they don't have an intellectual framework to think about it, but then that vacuum comes QAnon and all this other nonsense. So um, they're fighting for their life, for their tradition. I totally understand that. You know, even that experience growing up where there was this patriarchal reaction, well, that's because there was this emerging um, new framework, even within that, you know, where a woman has a voice, right? And that's great. But there, there must be a way to, I think communitarianism is one of the solutions, both for our traditional communities and for alternative communities, because it allows them, and also for deep spiritual practice on, on top of that, I would say, it allows people to retain their identity. Not everybody's moving ahead at the same speed, you know, and mm-hmm. that creates all kinds of cultural chaos. And to the other side of that, um, there needs to be gender balance. We don't want to like deny men to be men. So. It's 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 something right now in our culture that's challenging. So when I look at what's happening in, you know, deep American evangelical heartland, um, I'm sad for that. Right. And I have a very nostalgic and kind feeling towards certainly the um, the uh, conservative holiness movement. This is very heart heart based faith. So um, I think. Can we renew those in ways that that uh, can can sustain those traditions? I don't know. They're going to have to go deep. They'll have to have an inner life that's been lost, especially in this age. I love the call to community, in in the sense mm-hmm. that you know we we can't do this alone. I don't think we've ever been asked to do it alone, and uh, I mm-hmm. think we need others to, you know, model uh, what it does truly look like to follow mm-hmm. Christ in a consumer society and um, mm-hmm. to, to model that whole archetypal journey of, of death and resurrection and dying to self and self-emptying. Mm-hmm. And we, we can talk about these things. We can think about these things, but mm-hmm. most of us need a model 
most of us need someone that says, I'm doing this, come with mm-hmm. me, follow mm-hmm. me on this pursuit of, of, of God. And, and I think that's a great mm-hmm. word you just said. Mm-hmm. So as you know, uh, Travis, our podcast is called Holy Heretics, and we, we called it that for a number of reasons, not least of which because we, Melanie and I, have been labeled as heretical for having the courage to ask some pretty tough questions about faith and, and really pursue Christianity toward the margins, outside of legalism, outside of fundamentalism. And just hearing your story over the last several minutes, I'm just going to assume that you've potentially been labeled heretical or maybe worse. Um, you know, what would you say is one of the biggest beliefs or postures that that you have espoused that may have led some of your more conservative or fundamentalist friends and family from your past to label you something as you know bold as a heretic? Well, I took some real risk when I wrote the book um, and bringing up some topics that are are heterodoxical, right? Um, reincarnation or you know transmigration of the soul would be one of the important ones that mm. came up very early on. Um, and then other things, uh, certainly the engagement with Zen, um, the the idea that you can have due to you know meditation disciplines, you can have some of these uh, experiences such as clairvoyance, right? Um, and you can have contacts with the other side. A lot of that seen as potentially diabolical, right? Um, the other concept would be theosis is, is, you know, would be a name in, in the, uh, Eastern traditions, you know, union with God. So uh, this idea that we're, we have within us, uh, this capacity, I think a lot of people don't want to engage with that. They'd much rather be, you know, told what to believe and not be forced to do the hard work, right? If, if you're automatically saved, you know, pack up your bags and go home. Well, no, you've just begun a journey. And beyond that, uh, you might continue it beyond one, one lifetime to the next. So um, that's, that's definitely out there for a lot of people. Um, early Christian fathers, some of them certainly uh, considered this, and some of them believed it according to, um, according to some of the writings, right? Uh, and even Christ, you, there's ways of interpreting what he said about John the Baptist and himself as, as involving this belief that was very much a part of Jewish life at the time and continues to be. So uh, this is something that can be scary for people. They want to just believe this very simple concept of heaven, hell, this life, that life, or just pure materialism. Well, once you say, no, that's not true, it's beautiful, but we have to take it to another level. Um, that's that's going to trigger people because they don't want it. They don't want to deal with that. <laughs> the hermetic tradition is the other other side of it. So. Um, spiritual ascent path. I mean, my my theological position there is a revitalization of cartographies of the soul, you know, and and putting disciplines forward. So those are that stretch that stretches people, that stretches institutions, um, and it potentially compromises uh, institutional religion very likely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Anna van den Kirchhoff is somebody I've been in contact with lately. She's a at the Protestant uh, theologic. Institute in Paris. She's doing studies of first century's Christian hermetic tradition overlaps. Um, and we did have some texts come up in the Nag Hammadi text. So who knows? Maybe some uh, shepherd will find a jar that will revolutionize 
um, Christianity. I mean, I'm willing to go dig around in Coptic monasteries to see what I can find. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, you remind me of, uh, you probably know Bernard McGinn, who's a historian uh, of kind of the ancient Christian mystical practices. And he says, it's not enough to have wonderful theories about God. Authentic mm-hmm. mystical encounters are what radically change us. And and you've, mm-hmm. you've referenced some of those. And I do think that they are scary if you've never ex- uh, experienced them or if you've never been introduced to that. It, it can sound like uh, something that's very foreign to Christianity or something that, you know, we would want to label as new age and just run away mm-hmm. from. And when you really get to the heart of the matter, this is what what Christianity is about. It is a sacred, beautiful, mysterious uh, union with God that mm-hmm. we've been invited into, that we were born into, and that for you know our own sin or our own rebellion or whatever word you want to use there, we, we've run away from God. And I, w- I would hope that at the end of the day, what Christianity really offers is a pathway back to a beautiful personal union with God, this this journey back to um, our home, which is in God. Mm-hmm. And um, why, why are we so afraid of that? Right. Well, you've said it much more eloquently than I can. I'm just kind of a straight <laughs> shooter. <laughs> it's like a Zen. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lay it down and then that's it. But that, that's beautifully <laughs> stated and true. Yes. <laughs> well, we want to ask you, the question that we ask everyone, because we just think that we all need more hope and mm-hmm. we want to focus on that, not just things that we see as wrong or bad or or have a feeling like, oh, this is gross. I don't want this anymore. We also want to focus on where the good is and how we can move forward into a beautiful future. So when you look at the future of faith, what gives you hope? Well, that's a great question. Um... I'm even hopeful about our our existing traditions. I think they have the possibility to renew themselves, and by that I mean in uh, evangelical traditions. Um, but I do think this chaos that's happening right now politically uh, is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I had a great 2020, um, uh, only because it it, it it creates hope for transformation and renewal. I mean, uh, evangelical Christianity just ran into that massive wall. I mean, they, yeah. they totally you know wrecked. So, I mean, if, if the Republican Party and evangelical Christianity, you know, even survive and, you know, stumble away, that's that's going to be something. But maybe instead it's it's transformative, you know, near death experience, so to speak, for, for, for faith tradition, you know, where you really come face to face with true reality. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we can return to, you know, these ancient hermetic truths and practices uh, within the Christian faith. Um, I'm I'm very very hopeful that we can renew uh, using uh, platforms like uh, the Zen platform. There are many Zen Christian practitioners. Robert Kennedy's Morning Star Zendo, Kevin Hunt's um, Day Star Zendo. These are both priests, Catholic priests here, even here in America. So, you know, I've started this Zen Christian Network site to get Christians who are willing to do discipline meditation linked up and forming actual groups. And I think I think you can do that, whether evangelical or whatever. Whatever your your discipline is or your faith tradition, so I'm very very hopeful. I went and spent worked at the World Community for Christian Meditation location in Bonvaux, um, in in France, and these are uh, Episcopal priest was there, um, 
scary. Uh, she was hmm. right there with me, you know. So ecumenical structures within Christianity uh, that was led by a Benedictine monk, but then you had people like me or her. Uh, so I think we're we're going to see real transformation of Christianity, but it's only going to happen if we we move to different paradigm frameworks of understanding the world, which have been labeled New Age, but they're not New Age. They're ancient. <laughs> we just suppress them. You know, we suppress mm-hmm. them with institutional religion, uh, and including the community of the early church and those value modalities, how we went from, you know, we're sharing everything in common to uh, the conceptualizations we have now where we walk around with guns and defend capitalism. It's just mind-boggling how we got there. But, but, you know, we're running to the wall. So great. I think it's fantastic. I'm all for it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It's, you know, I think we want to be about what's next. And Mm -hmm. as you said, the 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 religion of the past has has mostly died um over mm-hmm. the last several years and yeah it, it does give it a lot of hope what's coming next and what can we do to help build that all right so mm-hmm. melanie said we have one last question for you but we really don't we oh. we actually have um a, a series of kind of rapid fire questions that we'd love to oh, ask boy. you just to just to kind of end our time together so <laughs> sure. basically we're, we're these are unprepared. You've never seen these. Just answer them uh, as maybe as quickly as possible. Well, silence that's might okay. be my answer, but all right, <laughs> all right. Okay, so so first rapid uh, rapid fire question: Is there anything that we should have asked you that we failed to? No. Okay. Wow, that makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> um, out of all the places, well, there's you've a lived... there's an attitude of synchronicity built in there, and and divine providence, the trust in divine providence. But yes. ooh, ooh, I like that. Okay, second question: Out of all the places you've lived, what was your favorite, and why? Wow, that's great. I mean, I've been to my other countries. Um, there's no question; it's absolutely, you know, undoubtedly. I've lived in the south of France uh, for for quite a number of years, and you know I love my little walk with my Churchill cigar and my dog up and down Cap Dante mm. along the sea. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the, we have we you know we are instantiated in real bodies, which we have to get around in and can uh, you know adore, and and we also are on this physical planet. So you know, uh, not always in the ethereal realm. So for me, you know, walking along Cap Dante, that's it. Wow. All right. So what's something about you that most people don't know that they might be surprised by? Oh, well, uh, talking about going back and embracing the past, a lot of people didn't know I grew up a hillbilly and my first (laughs) job was herding cattle uh, at a stockyard, uh, which is a sister one to the one featured in the movie Winter's Bone, which is set in the same area. So I I denied my cowboy uh, self. For, for quite a while. And in French, <laughs> they when I would get tired, right, it, 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 speaking French all day long, you know, I get tired, everybody gets tired. Well, I would start to talk in French, right, but with this Missouri accent, because I'm tired, you know. In, in English, <laughs> I have no problem. It never comes up. They say, Travis, tu manges tes mots? You're eating your words. What's wrong? I'm like, oh, I know what's wrong. You know, I, I became a French hillbilly there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Are there uh, French I, hill, hillbillies? I, I didn't think that was a thing. A campagnard. Well, they call them that. Uh, yeah, you know, a hillbilly in France. I lived in the French countryside a few different places. But, you know, you go into the tabac and you sit there and this guy's a hillbilly. He's got, you know, he's clearly, and, you know, you start talking about Kant. 
So it's it's totally different education system. So <laughs> very hillbillies can, you know, can discuss cons. So it's not quite That's the same funny. thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is, if you could go back and tell your childhood self one thing, what would you say? Read this book I wrote with you in mind. <laughs> mm, I like that. Mm. Okay, final question. This is uh, for real this time. What's your all-time favorite song? Oh. Oh. Wow. Now, see, now you've stumped me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's funny. There's this one. It's really not a very spiritual one. There's this Waylon Jennings song. You know, I've always been crazy, but it's kept me from going insane. <laughs> <laughs> Your uh, your hillbilly roots are speaking for sure. Mm. <laughs> well, this has been really fun and um, really interesting, Travis. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank uh, for you very anyone, much for me. and for anyone who's interested, where can they find more info about you or your book or anything else that you're up to? Sure, uh, on Facebook, I have a Path of Trinity page. My books on Amazon and U.S. and Europe and, and other places. Um, and I would just also put in a plug for the World Community for Christian Meditation, uh, Father Keating's Contemplative Prayer Outreach. I have a Zen Christian website I'm, I'm, I'm developing. Might, might be able to have some help on that somewhere along the way, but that's a project. Uh, so those are, those are places you can, you can find me. Awesome. And we'll make sure to get those from you so we can put them in the show notes for anyone who's interested as well. Yep. Hey, Travis, thanks so much for being with us and really sharing your heart and your journey and how you move from fundamentalism into a really more nuanced expression of faith. It's a it's an invitation for all of us to just keep on moving in our spiritual journey. Thank you. And that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed all of Travis's wisdom and experience. Uh, we do have one favor to ask of you, though. If you have been enjoying and learning from our content, would you just take a moment to hop on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? Reviews help us get in front of more people, so we would be extremely grateful for a review or even a rating. As always, for show notes, you can head to holyheretics.org, and you can also find all our social media info there if you're interested in following us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.